Well, it's a great pleasure to be here at Cumberland Lodge. It's even greater pleasure to see so many of you here as well. Uh, when we talk of the justice system, we tend to think of criminal justice. And you've heard um, from Martin about that, from David about that. It's a good place to start, but of course there's much more to it than just criminal justice. But we'll stick with criminal justice at the moment. As you've heard, the most serious cases go quickly through the Magistrates' Court up to the Crown Court. Cases also get to the Crown Court in two other ways. First, if you're tried by the Magistrates and found guilty, you have a right of appeal. You go to the Crown Court where the case is heard afresh by a circuit judge sitting with two magistrates. Also, if you're tried at the Magistrates' Court and found guilty, uh, you can appeal against sentence if you think you've been sentenced uh, too, too, too much. Or if the magistrates feel their powers aren't sufficient, they can send you to the Crown Court for sentence by the Crown Court. As you've heard, it's the most serious cases that go to the Crown Court. In fact, when they get there, most are dealt with without a trial because the defendant would plead, will plead guilty. There's no formal plea bargaining as such, but in reality there's a lot of negotiation because the prosecution may agree to accept a, a plea of guilty to a lesser offence or they may agree to accept a plea of guilty on a particularly advantageous factual situation favourable to the defendant. In addition, the defendant can ask the judge what would be the maximum sentence that he would impose if the defendant were to plead guilty. The defendant then knows where he is if he decides to plead guilty. If a trial does take place, it's the familiar trial with a judge and jury. And if convicted, then it's a matter for the uh, judge on sentence alone. Now, defendants are encouraged to plead guilty because they get a discount in their sentence if they plead guilty. It's one third off the sentence if they plead guilty at the first opportunity, and there's a sliding scale thereafter. Now, I sit in the Crown Court most of the time. I'm one of the 650 circuit judges who sit in England and Wales. In Scotland and Northern Ireland, of course, have a separate system. Now, I'm assigned to the Midland Circuit, and I'm based in Worcester. I also sit in Birmingham and in Hereford. Circuit judges really are the workhorse of the criminal justice system uh, for all the serious crimes. Uh, other judges who sit in the Crown Court are firstly High Court judges who will try the most serious cases, usually murders or something of some political sensitivity. In addition, there are part-time judges, recorders, and these will be solicitors or barristers in practice who will sit uh, for about four weeks a year uh, in the Crown Court doing a circuit judge's work. And I was a recorder for about 10 years before becoming a full-time judge. I think probably I would be saying, speaking for most circuit judges when I said the most difficult part of the work is the sentencing. Now increasingly this is being structured by the Sentencing Guideline Council who has the aim of ensuring uniformity because as David has said, it's very important that whether you are convicted in London, Newcastle or Plymouth, for the same offence, you should get the same sort of penalty. Uh, increasingly, uh, the Sentencing Guideline Council is producing information for us, relevant matters to have in mind, the range of sentences we should Im impose. And there's certainly a trend by the government to try and dictate increasingly to judges how we should deal with matters. As you may imagine, judges are rather resistant to that. We like to have our discretion to do justice as we think fit in any individual case. The serious crimes are the easier ones to sentence. The big drug dealer will go to prison for a number of years. It's not too difficult to decide the length of the appropriate sentence. Much more difficult are the offences which are on the cusp of custody. Is it to be a short prison sentence? Is it to be a community order? And that's a difficult matter sometimes. I've been round prisons, a number of prisons, and I don't know whether any of you have, but they're not attractive places. And furthermore, the statistics suggest 
that people leave prison worse than when they went in. The recidivism rates are high. The only merit to prison, of course, is that whilst there, the criminal can't commit any further offence. A defendant who is convicted in the Crown Court has a right of appeal to the Court of Appeal against conviction, if there's been some error in the procedure, or against sentence if the judge has been too uh, excessive. In limited circumstances, the prosecution also has a right of appeal if it can persuade the court that the sentence was unduly lenient. Now, I spent about half my time sitting in the Quran court. The rest of the time is spent in the county court dealing with cases concerning children and civil disputes and also on the mental health tribunal. The children's cases are either disputes between parents who have separated and can't agree where the children should live or how the time is being allocated, or cases where the local authority want to take children into care for their own safety. In these cases, you may imagine that parents have a very strong sense of what is justice and what is not. They are interesting but difficult, and most of the work is done in private to protect the children and because much of the information is very sensitive. You may have read the Times campaign recently to open up these courts to public gaze. Uh, the difficulty, of course, as I said, is that children are concerned, information is uh, very sensitive. But um, there are now uh, plans, indeed I received a, a practice direction today, to permit the media to attend these uh, courts with a very limited right to report on an anonymous basis of what's going on. The Times also suggested that local authorities were taking too, few, too many children into the care system and were acting unfairly. The reality, in fact, is that in the world at large, we in Britain take fewer children into care than other countries. But that's another matter uh, for dispute. Civil actions in the county court, of course, concern all sorts of claims of compensation for personal injury, for rising out of accidents at work on the road, property disputes, etc. And the Mental Health Tribunal, where I also sit, is for the protection of those who are detained because of mental disorder. I deal with those who have been sent to hospital uh, after conviction of a serious criminal offence and they're found to be suffering from a mental disorder and prison's not appropriate, but a hospital is. Now they'll be detained there until either the Lord Chancellor or a tribunal decides that the risk they of them committing further offences is sufficiently low for them to be managed in the community. Now since the Lord Chancellor is rather risk averse, he tends to leave it to the tribunal to decide on release. Because if it all goes wrong, he can then blame the tribunal. <laughs> Well, you'll see from all this, I'm something of a jack of all trades. And like the eminent Dr. Jonathan Miller, I aspire to be a master of them all. Well, you've got the framework now. Let me, let me try a few wider thoughts on you. Firstly, crimes are crimes because we decide they should be. Bigamy is an offence because we think one wife is enough. Drugs are illegal because we've decided that they are harmful, and the best way to limit the harm is to make them illegal. The age of consent to sex is 16, because that's what we've decided. Homosexual activity used to be legal, and now is not. Marital rape used to be legal, but now it is not. For those of you who like sociological jargon, it is said that crime has no ontological reality. It is a social construct. Secondly, over the last 30 years or so, the criminal justice system has become very politicised. All the major parties want to be seen to be tough on crime and compete with each other for that purpose. 
Do you remember Willie White Law, the short, sharp shock to be given to young offenders to make them see sense? And Michael Howard, how prison works? Well, the current government continues in the same vein. It talks a lot about the law-abiding majority. That, of course, is you and me. And criminals who are in some way other from us, different and threatening, and must be dealt with severely. <coughs> Thus, in, 19, in 2006, it produced a consultation document entitled Rebalancing the Criminal Justice System in Favour of the Law-Abiding Majority. And John Reid, the then Home Secretary, wrote in the introduction that, quote, the vast majority of people are decent and law-abiding. In reality, the majority are not that law-abiding. Just pause a moment. Look at the, if I can invite you to the, the little handout here. Go to page, uh, top of page seven, I think it is. Middle of page seven. 7.5% of the male population born in 1953 had been given at least one custodial sentence before the age of 46. 33% of men, that's one third of men, born in 1953, had at least one conviction for a standard list offence before the age of 46. Now, standard list means basically all offences other than minor motoring offences. So that's a third of men had that sort of conviction before they reached the age of 46. In addition, uh, the... Um, Centre for Crime and Justice Studies has produced a, a booklet uh, called The Law-Abiding Majority, The Everyday Crimes of the Middle Class, to illustrate this. There is, in fact, a vast amount of dishonesty in everyday life in the completion of tax returns, VAT returns, insurance claims, benefits claims, paying cash in hand to a builder to help him avoid paying tax. It doesn't feel the same as shoplifting, which, of course, is bad, but it is still dishonest. And that's a point to have in mind when we think about criminals as other people, completely different from us. Thirdly, the government claims that the current sentencing policy, with an ever-increasing number of people in prison, has served to reduce the level of offending. Now, in fact, the relationship between sentencing and the prison population on the one hand and the crime rate on the other is not clear or direct. Back to page 7 of the uh, fact sheet, just above the passage I was talking to about in a moment ago. Research by the Prime Minister's Strategy Unit, highlighted in the Carter Report, entitled Managing Offenders, Reducing Crime, December 2003, says that a 22% increase in the prison population since 1997 is estimated, is estimated to have reduced crime by about 5% during a period when crime overall fell by 30%. The reports state, there is no convincing evidence that further, increasing, further increases in the use of custody would significantly reduce crime. And that's a government paper produced by Lord Carter for the Prime Minister's unit. Much more influential, the research would suggest about the rate of crime, are things like the equality, level of equality in society, jobs, housing, etc. Drink and drugs feature largely. Most of the people who appear before me tend to act without much thought. They are usually the disadvantaged society who, by reason of bad upbringing and lack of skills, are poorly equipped to function successfully in society. And these are the sort of people who end up in prison. Now, there's a loose leaf with your fact sheet there, uh, which should be entitled Characteristic 
the general population and the prison population. The layout's not entirely clear, but if one runs down, you'll see it says, ran away from home as a child, 11%. That's the general population. The next two figures, 47% of males and 50% of female, are of sentenced prisoners in prison. Taken into care as a child, general population, 2%. Prison population, 27%. And so it goes on. No qualifications, 15%. Of the general population, of people in prison, 52% of men, 71% of women have no qualifications. Numeracy, literacy, unemployment, all the same things. Those in prison have much higher incidence of all these sort of disadvantages than those in the general population, and those are the people who are sent to prison. Some may say they've been punished already in their lives, and, finish, and going to prison punishes them more. The only point of this is just to ask you to be vigilant and critical when assessing what governments are up to and not to take things at face value. Is the government using criminal justice policy as a political tool? What is inter interesting is the lack of academic study supporting the government approach to crime and criminal justice policy. I found no supporting study. You may say, well, that says more about academics than about government policy, but it's a point to be made. Now, criminologists are academics who study crime, criminals, and offending behavior. Recently, they've started to widen their study. Activity is classified as criminal because it causes harm, and making it criminal should reduce the incidence of such activity, and thus the harm caused. But there's much activity that is either not classed as criminal, but is harmful, or is criminal, but never gets to court. Now, statistics about crime are extremely difficult. Much crime is not reported. Most murders are reported, but a lot of violence, particularly domestic violence, is not. Much dishonesty is never reported. Particular interest in accidents at work caused by a failure of employers to comply with their statutory obligations. These are frequent. The Health and Safety Executive reported 200 recorded 241 deaths at work in 2006 to 7. That's in Great Britain as a whole. Research suggests that that figure should in fact be nearer 1,400, which includes about 1,000 deaths on the road by people driving in the course of their work. 1,400. That's double the murder rate, the homicide rate, which is murder, manslaughter, and, infant and infanticide. About 50,000 people a year need a hospital stay as a result of a violent crime. A similar number needed hospital treatment as a result of an injury, a work-related injury. Similar sorts of figures. They're not directly comparable, but they do give an indication of the significance of work-related injury. As I said, there's vast underreporting of HSC offences and fewer prosecuted. Safety crimes, which affect a lot of people, are not seen as real crimes, and therefore they're not dealt with in the same way. Overall, what this means is that if one is concerned to reduce the various harms in society, one may need to ask whether uh, there are areas where the criminal justice system could be, moved, could be used more effectively than at present, and whether there are other social harms outside the criminal justice system which could be addressed in other ways than by criminalization. The current preoccupation with the criminal justice system may be unnecessarily limited to seek to address the many harms that we all experience in society. There you are. Okay.